Now, we're going to study the entirety of chapter 4, but I'm not going to read the entirety of it. I'm not going to make you sit through all that. I'm only going to read through verse 18. Um, and, and this is going to be the last words that we're going to hear from King Nebuchadnezzar. He will no longer speak after chapter 4. We won't hear any more of him after chapter 4. This will be all that he has to say. And what he has to say is powerful because it's basically a testimony. A testimony for those of you who are visiting with us and don't understand this idea of a testimony. A testimony is how we came to faith in Christ. And here with Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to see the same thing, how he came to faith in the living God. And uh, he wants the world to know this. And, and as he's writing this, he is sitting in authority over the largest empire in the known world. Uh, in, in the known world, he, his, the expanse of his empire touches every portion of the known world. And um, he's been put out to pasture for seven years, literally put out to pasture. Uh, his hair grew like eagle's feathers. His nails were like the claws of a bird. He was eating the grass of the field. The morning dew was upon him. He was wet by that. He lived out in the fields. He was insane. Uh, he was inactive. And they just put him out to pasture. And this was an act of God that you're going to see in this prayer. Because God was interested in getting a hold of his heart. And he did. And so Nebuchadnezzar writes this. And for those of you who dismiss it, let me just simply tell you that uh, uh, Barosus was a, a, an ancient historian, 250 BC, and he wrote of the uh, insanity and the inactivity of Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he listed this in his historical accounts. In addition, uh, in the East India Museum, we have cineform uh, tablets that declare the inactivity and insanity of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a historical documented aspect, which is fascinating because most kings, when they would conquer something, or I should say most kings, would only have written in tablet form those things that they conquered. They would never show their insecurity or their insanity or their inactivity. They wouldn't list that. But here, this is a testimony that Nebuchadnezzar wants the entirety of the kingdom to hear and all peoples to hear this because he is declaring that Christ is king and, and God is the Lord of all. And he has come to this place of surrendering his life, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, surrendering his life to God. And, and God can, I'll tell you, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Uh, whether you're the most you know, impoverished person in this room or the wealthiest person in this room, you come to Christ the same way, on your knees, in repentance, and in humility. Uh, God's not interested in your wealth or your lack of wealth. He's interested in who sits on the throne of your heart. And, uh, and so we're going to see um, the most powerful man on the face of the earth yielding his life to the living God. And with that, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, I'll read out loud. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might take, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. 
These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of heaven dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him, seven years or seven seasons. Verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest or the most debase of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Lord, please bless the study of our word. Lord, allow us to see our lives in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Allow us to yield. Lord, I pray that this would be a year of repentance, a year of alignment, a year of blessing a year of surrender, Lord, a year of revival. And so God, we commit this to you. We ask you to cause us to come alive to your living word in Jesus' name, amen. All right, sit down. <laughs> Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let me repeat that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Isaiah 14, the very first sin ever known to man, in a sense, and it's, this, it's the main sin that all sins come from, uh, the, the fallen nature of man, the struggle of man, all of our failures all emanate, all come from this one sin found in Isaiah 14. And it was written of Satan himself, for you said in your heart, Satan, I will descend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now this term, the most high, is used six times in Daniel chapter 4. El Elyon is the Hebrew of the Aramaic. It's a Hebrew word written in an Aramaic form, El Elyon, the most high God. It's used six times in Daniel 4. The very first time we see El Elyon is in Genesis 14, 18, when Melchizedek and Abraham, uh, he comes and he declares the most high God. Uh, Chedorlaomer and, and the rest of them, they declare that the most high God, and he is a servant of the most high God. He's a priest of the most high God. And so we're, this is where we see El Elyon. It's a description of the mighty most high God. There is none before him, none after him, none is great, none equal. He is it. But then the same word, El Elyon, is used in, in, in Isaiah 14 when Satan says, I will become like El Elyon. I will become like the most high God. And, and this is pride. Pride is the first sin. Pride is the greatest sin. 
Pride is what limits you from having a, a full life in Christ. This idea that you will retain or I will retain the, the throne of our life and the reins of our life, that we are in charge. And we seem to think that we are in control of things. We are not. We have deceived ourselves. God is in control. And we will see in this passage of scripture that he rules in the affairs of men. He rules in nations. He places debased men in positions of authority. Yes, Adolf Hitler. Yes, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot. Uh, you can go on and on. He has placed these men in positions of authority, debased men. Uh, God has appointed them. And we look at that and we think, how can God do this? How can God save a man like Nebuchadnezzar? We're going to see in this passage of scripture a man who testifies of the living God that you will see in heaven. As a matter of fact, when Nebuchadnezzar got to heaven, he more than likely ran into some of the people he himself killed. As we saw in the earlier portions of the scripture, he had men quartered and then their houses were burned. They were cut in pieces. Their houses were burned. Daniel, who has written this book, Daniel, in his own life, through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, witnessed probably the death of his own parents, witnessed the destruction of his hometown, the destruction of his nation. Uh, his, his physical manhood was removed because of the decree of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's life was turned upside down as a result of Nebuchadnezzar, and the authority Nebuchadnezzar was given by God. Daniel had to endure the pain that this man inflicted upon Daniel. But yet for 30 years, Daniel is interceding on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see that for 12 months, he's interceding on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. In the seven years, the Talgum declares, in the seven years where Nebuchadnezzar was out in the field like a cow, uh, his hair was like that of eagle's feathers and his fingernails were like the claws of birds. They'd just grown, he'd gone insane. His hair was all just, you know, nasty. And, and in the midst of that, the Talgum says Daniel stayed by his side for those seven years ministering to him. He comes to a, a, a repentance. He comes to a yieldedness to the living God. And, and Daniel uh, is spending eternity right now with Nebuchadnezzar. How is that possible? How is it that a man like Nebuchadnezzar can be in heaven? Well, the same way that you and I could be in heaven. It, you, you don't get to heaven because of your good works. We saw that on Christmas Eve. Good works is not the door to heaven. It's not the portal or the entry to heaven. Your good works are not an entry into heaven. Whether you're a good man or a good woman, based on however we measure good on this earth, how many times a day does a good man or a good woman fail, sin, fall short? Countless times. There are none righteous. No, not one. The scripture says our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord. We may think we're good compared, you may think you're good compared to me. And, and, and as I've said often, that's not a stretch. You know, God's not impressed with that. You can sit in judgment of anyone in this room and say, I'm a better person than these stupid Christians in here. You probably are. But the reality is we don't get to heaven based on our good works. You'll stand before a holy God who's without sin to give an accounting of your life. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. And God stands today to impute his righteousness on your account. The only thing that's different between those of you who, who haven't put your faith in Christ and those who have is that we're just one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. We're no better than you are. The only thing is God has cleansed us of our sin because we've received this gift by faith, not of works. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast. We're saved by faith, not by works. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast, it says in Ephesians. And so we've received that. That's what makes us righteous a right standing before the Father because our sins have been paid for, because Christ died for our sin. We received that. We accepted it. 
The only thing that separates you from us and you from God in a relationship with the living God is just simply to say, all right, I want to accept that that forgiveness. I want to accept that salvation. I want to accept the remedy for my sin. I ask that Christ's blood would cover my sins. By faith, I receive that in Jesus' name. And you're saved. It's, it's that simple. And so that's, that's the equalizer. And, and whether you're Ted Bundy, who was responsible for the horrific death of countless women, who, while in prison, apparently a testimony before declaring Christ as his savior and, and God knows his heart. My spirit bears witness with the Lord that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. He who's been placed in the father's hand, no man can remove. How does Ted Bunny get to heaven? The same way you and I get to heaven. We get there by faith, not by works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now, faith in Christ should produce good works. And for some of you who aren't believers, you're struggling because the Christians that brought you don't have a lot of good works. And you're thinking, if this is what a Christian is, I don't know what I, that I want to be. Don't use them as the example. Use Christ as the example. We're going to let you down. We're going to do our best not to. And in the same regard as a minister, uh, my job is, to, is to, to lead you to Christ. But I'm not the portal. I'm not the entryway. Christ is the door. The church, it's important. It's the estate God has, uh, has declared uh, to, to further his righteousness on this earth, but the church is not the portal. Churches have let you down. Pastors have let you down. Christians have let you down, but Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never let you down. And today, the issue today is, like Nebuchadnezzar, are you willing to give him the throne of your life? You see, in the earlier passages, one of the things that we saw about Nebuchadnezzar's life is that in chapter two, uh, he was also troubled. In the very beginning of, of, of Daniel chapter two, he was troubled. He had a dream that troubled him. And, and, and at that point, uh, that's when Daniel came in, not only gave him the interpretation of the dream, but gave him the dream without being told what the dream was and gave him the reason or what he was thinking before he had the dream. And this floored Nebuchadnezzar, but not to the point where he yielded his life. In Daniel chapter one, some of the things that, that we learn that Daniel declared about God that we're gonna see in Daniel chapter four, Daniel said, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, um, was, was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. God or, ordained that. And, and, and the, 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 the conquering of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the articles of the house of God. He carried him into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasury house of his God. God gave Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave the articles of the temple into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God ordered that. He allows debased men to rule. And we groan. We struggle over some of the authority we're placed under. We don't like it. One of the things is a ruler reflects the heart of the people. We get what we deserve. Oftentimes we, praise the Lord, we don't get what we deserve. We say, uh, you know, one nation under God. I don't necessarily know that America's under God. I think we're over God. I don't think we have a heart for God. I don't think we have a respect for God. I don't think we have a fear of God. We, we continue with what we do. We've removed him from our schools. We've removed him from our books. We've removed him from the public edifices. We've removed him from, we've removed every, we're, we're attempting to do whatever we can to redefine God in our culture and take him out of the equation. And as a result, we, we're, we're standing, we're sitting on the throne of our own life and declaring our nation to be in our hands. And God is saying, no, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. When, when, when the wicked rule, the people groan. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. 
But we want a righteous ruler. We want to see a nation change. But God says, okay, let's begin with you. And you're like, no. No, no, I, I, <laughs> not going to give that up. Are you crazy? And God says, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. I want to begin with you. I want revival to begin with you. I want you to be the real deal, the real article. I want you to be mine. I want you to declare that your life is wholly in line with mine. And we struggle with that. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 47, we see a picture of King Nebuchadnezzar. The king answered Daniel after he'd interpreted this dream and just blew Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Nebuchadnezzar says, truly your God. Everybody say your God. When he says your God, it's not his God. He's saying, Daniel, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of the secret, since you could reveal this secret. In Daniel chapter 3, which we studied a couple weeks ago, after Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had come out of the fire furnace unburned, the only thing that was taken off of them was the cords that bound them. Their hair wasn't even singed. The guards that threw them in the fire were burned. And, and Christ in a Christophany appeared with these other three guys in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar was blown away by it. And as they come out of this furnace, Nebuchadnezzar declares in in verse 29 of Daniel 3, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Their God, your God, their God, your God. You may recognize my God. You may recognize Jesus as a historical figure. You may recognize as an agnostic that you know there's a God, but you don't know who he is. You haven't necessarily put the pieces together. Agnostic means agnosis, without knowledge. You may be in that place. You may be worse. You may be an atheist, and you declare that there isn't a God. And the Bible says any, any man who says there's no God is a fool. I didn't say that. The scriptures did. How you can look at the sunrise and the sunset and see the order of the universe and look at the beauty of a baby and see all these things and and birds migrating and the order and looking at mathematics and say it's by chance, random. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does in a living God. You're in a whole different realm. But to come to a place where you say, okay, I believe there's a God. I believe that Jesus was a historical figure. Good for you. The Bible says that even the demons believe in Christ. They even believe in God. They don't trust him. They don't yield to him, but they at least acknowledge that he's there. They just don't want to serve him. That's more honest. The Bible says that light has come into the darkness, but the world loved darkness more than light. You know that these things add up. It's not hard to embrace this and to see these things. It's not for a lack of evidence. If you really give it an honest study and an honest examination, it's not for lack of evidence. It's an unwillingness to yield your life. It just comes right back to Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's pride. Let's call it what it is. It's pride. God wants the throne of your life. He wants to rule in your life and over the things that he's entrusted to you. They're all his. Everything is his. Paul wrote, as we said earlier in our prayer time in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? It's it's all his. It always has been. The psalmist declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. It's all his. 
whatever authority you have, whatever power you have, whatever wealth you possess, whatever possessions you hold, they were all entrusted to you. They're not yours. They're on loan. And you are going to die and you're not taking them with you. And I don't care if your kingdom covers the expanse of the known world. You are just like everyone else in the room. There will be a day where you'll give an accounting of your life before God. And God wants to get a hold of you before you die because it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. Do not step into eternity without the blood of Christ covering the multitude of your sins because you will be judged. If you step into eternity with your sins covered by the blood of Christ, you will receive mercy. And that's what we need because mercy triumphs over judgment. And so with Nebuchadnezzar, God is willing to reach anyone, anytime. And what's fascinating about this passage of scripture is in chapter one, which floors me, you see in chapter one, it says that I thought to declare these signs and wonders that the most high has worked for me. This is his testimony. And his signs and wonders, he's saying, I want to tell you about signs and wonders. I want to blow your mind. First of all, I witnessed Daniel in the lion's den. I witnessed Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I witnessed Daniel interpret my dream and tell me my dream and tell me the reason why I was having the dream when I was thinking before I had the dream. I witnessed all of these things. I saw it come to pass. I saw the prophetic word of God fulfilled that blew me away. These are signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders that he could reach into a heart of a king who was surrounded by, by walls so thick and guards so powerful that nobody could ever enter. And, and, and God bypassed all that and visited me in a dream. In a dream. In the Muslim world, people are coming to Christ by dreams. It's, it's, it's absolutely encompassed. And, and to try to get a missionary in there as a Christian to try to testify and set up a church and set up a radio station and hand out tracts, it's not going to happen in that, in that realm of the world. God visits by dreams. He says, I want to declare to you because of these signs and wonders that God is El Elyon, the most high God. I, I want you to hear my testimony, Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to die, but this kingdom's going to go on forever. This is a God who, who there's, there's no shadow in his turning. There's no death. He is life. He, he is and will always be. I have an end. For time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end. For God, there is no time. He is eternal. And then he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace. Life couldn't have been any better. Flourishing means he's a green, verdant branch. I mean, it's just filled with leaves and fruit, and he is just, life is just expanding, and it's just alive, and, and he's got the, the softest pillow and the nicest mattress, and he's, he's got the richest foods, and he's, he's fanned at night, or he's warmed at night, or whatever he wants, it's there, and he's surrounded by bodyguards and dogs and, and alarm systems somehow. I mean, this is, a guy, this is a guy who married a woman who was from the mountains, you know, the lush green mountains, and his palace was in the desert, and she whined and complained that it was too arid, so he built the hanging gardens of Babylon that were tiered, and, and he had misting systems and sprinkler systems. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. He built it for his wife. I can't even grow tomatoes for my wife. This guy built these hanging gardens of Babylon for this woman. Everything was there. It, they said it looked like a mountain. It was so lush and so green. 
and he built this for her, and, and this was his world. And here he is in his palace, surrounded by the thickest walls, uh, a, a nation that is enveloped in gold, as we've studied earlier in other passages, and, 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 and nobody can touch him. You can't even get near him without being killed or shot or stabbed or whatever. No one can reach him. And while he's having this wonderful dream, he's probably just being fanned and he's just, he's thinking, I, can life get any better? I submit that it cannot. And while he, he utters those words, all of a sudden it says, I saw a dream which made me afraid. The Aramaic of the word afraid, to go into, a, into depth of it, simply means it was a paralyzing fear. He needed a brown paper bag because he was hyperventilating. It, it was so frightening. He had a terrible, terrible dream, and it just stunned him. It goes on to say, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions in my head troubled me. Again, the word troubled and a word afraid, very similar. Paralyzing chest-tightening, oxygen-sucking dream. Anxiety enveloped him. You know, those dreams where your child's sleeping and you're sleeping and you wake up, uh, you have to go in and see if the baby's breathing. Because you read in a story earlier about a Sid's case. And every waking moment, you're pacing back and forth and, and you don't want anything to happen to your child and the fear that envelops you, and the worry, and then everything about the food, and you've got to calculate the food. And when our first child was born, the, 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 the binker, the, the suction thing that the kids have, would fall on the ground. We'd boil it, and we'd, we'd, and we'd carry it with rubber gloves and tongs, and, you know, and put it in hot in the baby's mouth. I mean, no, we wouldn't. But, but you, you, you get to the fourth child. It's like it falls on the ground, you lick it, put it back in. There you go, kid. Go play in traffic. But the panic you have, th this is the fear, it's even worse. And this dream was so enveloping, he sees this enormous tree and the tree is larger, it goes and you can see it from every vestige of, of the kingdom. All the animals are under it, the shade of it, the leaves feed them and it's a declaration of who he is and the kingdom of, that he oversees. And, and in this, he sees it, but he sees a tree cut down. He sees it bound in bronze chains. He sees it put out into the morning dew so it's wet by the dew. It's grazing in the field. Talks about how God exchanges a man's heart for the heart of a beast. Verse 16, let the heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. Let seven times pass over him. And, and we're gonna see in Daniel's interpretations, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. A heart of a man is gonna be given a heart of a beast. And this is why. In order that the living may know and that's you and me. We're alive, yeah? Let's just check. This is why you're here. That the living may know that the Most High, El Elyon, rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever, whomever he will and sets it, over in, it sets it even in the hands of the lowest or most debased of men. We struggle over the rulers of this world, don't we? Adolf Hitler, 50 million people Joseph Stalin, hundreds of millions of people were killed under his regime. Pol Pot. You look at the Tutsis and the, and the Hutus in Rwanda. 900,000 people killed in, in a short span, not with guns, machetes. The brutality and the viciousness of man. And, and you look and you think, God, where are you in all this? And God would go further and say, I allowed them to rule and to reign. Why? Why? Because of the hearts of men. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. How did those rulers get there? People allowed them. 
You only have rulers you permit. You only have rulers you allow. You don't want to engage. You don't want to participate. You get what you deserve. And when we allow power to manifest itself in such a way, man will exercise power to oppress humanity. And they'll do it in the most awful of ways. And there's no one more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar who did this. He would quarter people. He did it to his soothsayers and his astrologers and his magicians. He'd cut them in quarters and then burn their houses. He more than likely killed Daniel's parents. He killed all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He took the young boys away. Physically, he removed their manhood and made them eunuchs. Daniel, Daniel was affected by Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Personally, his life was deeply scarred by what, Dan, by what Nebuchadnezzar did. And now Nebuchadnezzar calls on Daniel and says, Daniel, I can't sleep. I can't even live. Help me. We did this once before in chapter two. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. Let's do it again. He says, all right. And then he declares in verse 19, he calls Daniel, Daniel by his Hebrew name. His heart's starting to turn. He says, then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time and his thoughts troubled him. Daniel's sitting in Nebuchadnezzar's presence. The dream is very clear. Daniel sees it. And Daniel, for probably over an hour, is just sitting there in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar knows this guy. For 30 years, he served Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar knows Daniel. He's seen him in tough situations. And he's, he's looking at Daniel. He can see on his face, Daniel, what is wrong? And Daniel's like, Daniel, 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 what is it? The king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Just, just give it to me straight. And Daniel answered, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. He goes, what is it? Are you sure? Yeah. What's a dream? He says, well, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, its height reached to the heavens and could be seen by all the earth. Its leaves are lovely. Its fruit was abundant. Just like you were flourishing and you're verdant and life is great. That's you. And everything fed and you, you, you were in charge. Your, your kingdom expanded. You fed this nation. Nobody had the authority or the power you had. Everybody was entrusted to you. It's you. The tree's you. O king, you have grown and become strong and, and for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Verse 23, inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. He says, this is the interpretation of king, and, and, and this is the decree of the Most High, El El Yon, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven seasons, seven years shall pass over you till you know that El El Yon, the Most High God, rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven 
rules. God is going to humble you, king. You have been ruling in anger. You've been spiteful. You have been wicked. You have been depraved. Your mind is sick. Your actions are awful. The sins of your life are laid bare before the eyes of God. He sees it all. And what Daniel is declaring to Nebuchadnezzar, God is declaring to you and me today. He sees it all. You're not fooling him. You may be fooling me and I may be fooling you, but we aren't fooling God. There's no revival because there's no repentance. J. Edwin Orr said revival is like judgment day and judgment begins in the house of faith. We want our nation healed, but the church won't yield. And those are hard words. He doesn't want 90% of your life. He wants 100. He doesn't want 90 or 89% of my life. He wants 100. He wants it all. Every decision, everything, every day. No secret sins, no hidden sins, no me, mine. No, his. Surrender. God, I don't understand you. Where are you? Do you trust me? Let me tell you something. He's got a way of building our faith. We love to sing the songs and worship the Lord and praise him. And then he just comes along and he knocks that little thing out from your life. And, I, and when I say little, I'm, I'm not diminishing it. I'm, I'm, I'm making illustration. And all of a sudden you realize your life was not founded on Christ. You weren't standing upon the rock. You were standing upon your things or your relationships or whatever it is. And it all comes falling down. And you're, you're where are you? Don't you care? God is saying, I do. And you've been worshiping at the wrong altar. Do you trust me? But it's so hard. It's a fallen world. And I've never asked you to go where I wasn't willing to go myself. I'm a man acquainted with sorrow. The scripture says of Jesus. He came to serve, not to be served. And to give his life as a ransom for the many. And I have been crucified, the Apostle Paul said. Every Christian who's gone before us had had God's sovereign hand dictate for them to, to, to declare scripture like the Apostle Paul, Peter, John. Look at their lives. That's why God's called me back to the book of Acts. Look at them. Paul never asked what the hotels were like in the cities he visited. He asked what the prisons were like beaten and despised servants no rights doulos bond slaves under rowers we we struggle when our kingdom is invaded and god wants it all and you say you can't take this this is mine no it's not it never was it's mine i purchased you with my blood I will take it all until I have all of you. And we can do this all day. The world will never see me until they see me in you and you have to possess all of me. 
because I want all of you. I'm gonna take this from you because you're holding on a little too tight. But God, I... We have false gods. We worship at the altar of whatever it is. And Daniel decrees that you are in for a humbling. Humility before honor. Wow. And I have to tell you something. This will bring you to the brink of insanity. You may even go over the brink. We know Nebuchadnezzar does. He goes nuts. You got it all ordered and aligned and I got control of this and I'm in charge. And then, and you just, you can't fathom a world you're not in control of and you never were. And God is saying, are you gonna trust me? I, 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 no, I, I trust this. Do you trust me? No, 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 I trust this. Do you trust me? No, 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 I trust it. Whatever. Go in your own world. Do you trust me? Do I have the reins of your life? I will carry this on until you know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and he gives it to whomever he chooses. I will do this and I will continue to do this until your kingdom shall be assured that you know that heaven rules, not you. And, and, and then Daniel adds this. Daniel adds this. Daniel, whose life had been adversely affected by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, who's interceded for 30 years in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Daniel, who served the man who hurt him the most of any person on the face of the earth. Daniel wrote these words to Nebuchadnezzar. He declared them. He says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Would you break off your sins by being righteous? and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. You don't have to go through this. Just repent right now. Repent means turn. Turn from you being in charge to letting Christ be in charge. We're crucified with Christ. Lord, save me. I want to serve you. I give it all to you. I lay it out there. Take the reins of my life. It'll be a daily battle. Every time you want to pick it up, God says, put it down. Every time you want to swallow it, God says no. Every time you want to click on it, God says no. You yield. It's a daily battle, daily sacrifice. It'll be hard. It'll be, it'll be enduring through the, through the early stages of it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. And, and when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. Temptation isn't the sin. Temptation united with your will conceives sin, and sin fully formed produces death. Death to your relationships, death to your family, death to your job, death to everything, because you can't sustain it. And then you won't let go, and then you go insane. And, and Daniel's saying, you don't have to go there. You don't have to be a cow. You don't have to be given the heart of a beast. You don't have to eat grass. You don't have to live under the dew of the morning and be chained to a stump. You don't have to be insane. You don't have to live seven years out in the wilderness. We can fix this right now. Just stop it. Please. I'm Daniel. Do you know me? You killed my parents. You destroyed my home. I love you. God gave me that love for you. I'm asking you to repent. Loved ones are telling you to repent. Loved ones want you to yield. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, a year, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Daniel had called him to repentance. He had been given a dream that, that per, just paralyzed him. He needed a brown bag because of the hyperventilation. He gets all of this. He gets a vision from God, visited in the mass of this, this kingdom, this palace. And he still does not 12 months. We are about ready to start a new year. You have 12 months ahead of you. He went 12 months continuing in his sin. Is this going to be 12 months of more of the same? Or is it going to be 12 months of verse 27 of repentance? I know what it is for me. I know what God wants. I am, that's, that's why he's called me to the gospels and to the book of Acts. There's things in, his, in my life he wants. He is breaking me. He is pounding me. I've had conversations with folks that have humbled me. It is awful. I hate every bit of it because my flesh just wants to react. And I've been blind. And how am I going to take anyone where I'm not willing to go myself. And I'm just saying, God, debase me, humble me, break me. I don't want 12 months more of this. I don't want it. I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. I don't, I don't, I, I don't win anything. Everything you did, you did for my good. Everything. You want all of me. You get it. Take every bit of it. But for 12 months, he was unwilling to yield. And the king spoke, verse 30. This is what he did. The king spoke, verse 30, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And at that moment, the heart of a man was exchanged for the heart of a beast. He became bovine boy. <laughs> you can imagine him. The king spoke, saying, Is this not... This great Babylon that I have built for the uh, royal dwelling of my mighty power, for the honor of my majesty. And while the word, word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Voomp! You lost it all. There goes that, and there goes that, and there goes that, and there goes that. Gone. And then they drive him from men. He loses fellowship. That's what happens with sin. You lose fellowship. People just don't hold on. God won't strive with you. And then all of a sudden, your dwelling is with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom every Jesus. How long you want to do this? Because you're not going to win. And for seven years, he's out there mowing the lawn. He's just eating grass. Been given a heart of a beast. I have, to, I have to say this. We look at a nation that was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal and this idea that we have a conviction in Judeo-Christian society that we are accountable to God. Now we've moved away from that and, and, and in the affairs of men and the governments of our nation, we, we no longer acknowledge God. We want to remove him from everywhere and, and Christians are silent. And we're just, we're not engaged. Okay. And we say we're one nation under God. We're, we're one nation over God. And what's happening is God is exchanging the heart of man with the heart of a beast. And, and now we are, we are declaring we're from beasts. We've evolved from beasts. We haven't evolved. We, 
there's, there's monkeys and, and gorillas and baboons going, no way, don't you put me with them. We don't orchestrate wars. We don't have a missile system. We, we aren't responsible for divorce court or foster care programs or abusive children. We don't kill a million of our babies every year. Don't you put us in with them. And God is saying, you want to change a nation? I need to get your heart first. I need your heart. And this is what, this is what happens. His hair becomes like eagle's feathers. His nails like the claws of birds. And at the end of the time, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34, at the end of the time, seven years it took me. Seven years is the number of completion. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. I went from the brink of insanity to sanity. Sanity begins and insanity ends when we lift our eyes to heaven. Did you hear that? Because I got to tell you, when you're trying to stay in control of stuff, it just, it's unraveling. I can't do it. You think you can, you're deceived. He says, my understanding returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. I honored him. He wasn't your God, he was my God. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. (laughs) He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You want to fight with God? You're going to lose. You can't go, why are you doing this to me? You're a, you're a gnat on the butt of an elephant. You're screaming at a God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. At the same time, my reason returned to me. I could understand now. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. And, and he uses this in the, in the concept of submitted honor, submitted humility. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And the excellency, excellent majesty was added to me. God did this. He did this, not me. They don't allow insane men to rule. God fixed it. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. I honor him. All of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. He's able to put down. I close with this last thought. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the earth. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I'm going to stay in control for these next 12 months. Well, you're going to go insane. And you're going to lose fellowship, your family. And it's not going to be pleasant. Isn't it fascinating that Satan didn't say, I will be like the redeemer? or I will be like the healer, or I will be like, no, he went right for the power. Power's intoxicating. Everybody wants control. God says, You're, the only way you succeed is to yield it to me. Do you, you, you think, well, it, life's still good. Yeah, it is. God's merciful. But Paul wrote in Romans 2, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that what he's doing, he's doing so that you'll repent? He can make it worse. 
Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months in the palace. <clears throat> he had been told a year earlier, keep going. Nobody needs to go insane. Let's come to a place where the world can see real Christians yielded fully to God. In the midst of the greatest trials, our hearts are wholly his. He never lets go. But he wants every bit of our lives. Twelve months, not of rebellion, but of revival. Beginning today. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, thank you for the picture of Nebuchadnezzar, the wealthiest man on the face of the earth, who too had to come to his knees before the cross of Christ. And today, Lord, we yield not 12 months of rebellion, but 12 months of revival. That our hearts would be wholly yours. That you will visit us and say, I want that. And we will say, it's yours. I want that too. It's yours. I want you to trust me even though you don't understand me, but you know that I will work it together for good. Lord, I do. I'm going to take this from you and you thought that you needed it, but you really don't. Lord, I'm okay with that. Every decision is yielded to the God who moves in the affairs of men for his glory. And we as his people trust him no matter what. That's revival. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, prepare us. And may we as your people yield for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I would only add, not only for his glory, but for our sanity. Let's stand and worship the Lord.